This morning's scripture is from Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 through 16 and 20 through 24. God the Master says, From now on, I myself am the shepherd. I'm going looking for them. As shepherds go after their flocks, when they get scattered, I'm going after my sheep. I'll rescue them from all the places they've been scattered to in the storms. I'll bring them back from foreign peoples, gather them from foreign countries, and bring them back to their home country. I'll feed them on the mountains of Israel, along the streams, among their own people. I'll lead them into lush pasture so they can roam the mountain pastures of Israel, graze at leisure, feed in the rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. And I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make sure they get plenty of rest. I'll go after the lost. I'll collect the strays. I'll doctor the injured. I'll build up the weak ones and oversee the strong ones so they're not exploited. Therefore, God the Master says, I myself am stepping in and making things right between the plump sheep and the skinny sheep. Because you forced your way with shoulder and rump and butted all, at all the weaker animals with your horns till you scattered them all over the hills. I'll come in and save my dear flock. No longer let them be pushed around. I'll step in and set things right between one sheep and another. I'll appoint one shepherd over them all, my servant David. He'll feed them. He'll be their shepherd. And I, God, will be their God. My servant David will be their prince. I, God, have spoken. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Norm, for that reading. Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. This reading this morning was from the prophet Ezekiel. Here's the backstory about Ezekiel. There was a time when because of poor leadership, the people whom God had called into a certain land could not continue to live there. Their empires crumbled. And they were taken into exile. Ezekiel was a prophet who was born to exile. That was the reality he knew. He dwelt in it 
All of those stories about the promised land, all of those stories about what had been when people lived where God had placed them, when people experienced different kinds of leadership, they were just stories to him, histories, a time ago. What he knew was Babylon. And for the first half of the book of the prophecy of Ezekiel, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about how we got from those rosy-colored memories to the reality that we face now. He doesn't spare anyone's feelings. He's pretty clear speaking with the insight that God has given him that the way that we got from there to here is because people were selfish. Because people who were in power did not show compassion for the poor. Because people forgot they needed each other. They forgot what God cares about and started to do whatever seemed right to them. They didn't have the courage to confront injustice, but instead let it roll. Ezekiel is not afraid to confront the people with this. But then something happens. Jerusalem falls. Their temple is destroyed. This temple is a place where God symbolically lives. When it falls, God is in exile too. And God in exile meets a people in exile. And what he has to say to them, what she has to say to them, is my power did not come from that place. My presence doesn't exist in that hall. No, all we ever had, good times or bad, all we ever had was each other. And this love, everything else is costuming. All we ever had was each other, and I am not going anywhere. My love for you is forever. So God in exile meets a people in exile, and after this final calamity, this final destruction, this feeling of having nothing and nowhere to go back to, God meets a people in exile and says, don't worry, you don't need a hierarchy. You don't need big buildings. You don't need a sense of shared language or purpose. You don't need to all be categorized in the same little box. No, I'm your leader. I know how to lead. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and I'm going to find every single sheep of my flock. I know who they are and they know who I am. I'm going to find every single one of them. I'm going to bind up their wounds. I'm going to lead them back to the flock. I'm going to challenge them. I'm going to nurture them. I'm going to feed every single one. God feeds the whole flock. God feeds the whole flock, even the jerks, even the people who were not good examples of God followers. No. 
God hasn't forgotten them. God hasn't lost them. God isn't leaving them out. No, God is going to find all of them and bring them all back together and bind up all the wounds and feed all the needs. And then, and then God's going to hold them accountable. Because these two things go hand in hand. This is God's kind of leadership. This is God's kind of love. To say everyone is worthy of care. Everyone is worthy of compassion and sensitivity. All of you are my beloved children, and I didn't make any of you to be rejected or to be left into the cold or to be the subject of disdain. No, you are all meant to be honored because you are mine. And your life comes from me. And I love you. But you will not continue to treat people the way you have been treating them. I love you, but you have to love yourselves. And you have to love each other. I'm not going to put up with it. (laughs) That sounds like some kind of Thanksgiving dinner, doesn't it? (laughs) that's what's going on in the reading from Ezekiel Ezekiel is giving a promise to the people where even the sweet parts are a little bit scary (laughs) because even the sweet parts come with this acknowledgement that loving doesn't make us blind to each other Loving loving may make us fools but does not make us foolish God doesn't waste God's care and passion. God directs it. And so restoration comes through both support and accountability. God feeds the whole flocks and then judges between them to reset the balance. So those who have been held at the margins, those who have been underfed, underloved, who have been left out in the cold, get brought near to the fire and they get everything that they need. I'm sorry. I still care. Let's make it new. And those who have been happily feeding themselves and clothing themselves in the warmest things, they get to put in a shift at midnight. They get to dig with frozen hands. They get to feel a little bit of what that is like, what they have been avoiding and ignoring. Forgiveness is possible in big and small things, in between individuals and for whole societies. We had a quiet Thanksgiving this year in our house, but one of the things that we did get to experience, which was not at all quiet, was the hours and hours of public demonstration in Plymouth, Massachusetts. It was an interesting crowd that was gathered there, a real diverse cross-section. Some people looked like they stepped right out of the 1970s, which was delightful. There were young people there. There were a lot of people with disabilities there. And there were people who were brought together from all these different nations, speaking together as one, in grief for what has been lost and what has been ignored, and also in hope for what is possible when we come together and recognize our sacred worth. Forgiveness is possible, but, begin, but it begins, real forgiveness begins with an acknowledgement of harm. 
We can't smile and say it's all okay all the time and still have warm hearts of love for each other. Forgiveness begins with the acknowledgement of harm by the person who's harmed and by the people who are witnesses to it. Begins with an acknowledgement of harm and a plan. A plan to follow a different kind of lead. These things that didn't work, we don't have to use those. We don't have to use those. We don't have to go back to the former temple. We don't have to live in the same places because we have a leader who will find us where we are and gather us all together and lead with support and accountability. We can find a new way. Forgiveness begins with the acknowledgement of harm and a plan. And it is incredibly important, especially in days like these, when the news is wearying, when there's violence across the street, when there are not enough caregivers and teachers, and we are all so hungry for spirit. It is so important that we are called to remember that the only model of leadership is God's model of leadership. Other things might flourish in the short term, but they strip away our spirit. They strip away the earth. There's no way to get away from each other. No model of leadership that depends on choosing people who already agree with you is going to work out because we're only going to get there when we all get there together. So we have to find a way to be gathered from all of our different places, to practice forgiveness, to feed everyone, and to hold each other accountable. If you're a nerd like me, you may have been struck that some of what you heard in the reading this morning sounds an awful lot like a strange chapter in the Gospel of John. When Jesus commissions Peter by the side. Yeah, Byron's nodding because he is a nerd like me. Thank you, Byron. When, he sa- when Jesus says to Peter, after the resurrection, after the betrayal and the torture and the public humiliation, right? After that, when Jesus has cooked his friends breakfast and they have all eaten, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? And what does Peter say? Of course I love you. And so what does Jesus say? Feed my sheep. I'm commissioning you to be a leader of people, to set the tone for a kingdom, for the kingdom of God on earth. I'm telling you that you have authority to speak and to tend to people and to minister and to organize. And the way to do it is the way that God does it. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. We're heading into Advent. And so um, I've been thinking about what our Advent season means for us this year in the midst of our current lives and what kind of themes would draw upon who we are as people 
When we were gathering for the uh, parsonage discussion meetings, and people were talking, I had the gift of being out of the room when the vision conversation was happening, and I got to read the notes. Your task force did a wonderful job of listening and recording. And in those notes, I got to see some beautiful things. And one of the things that I saw was this word engagement. We want people to be engaged. Our vision for what it looks like when our mission comes true is that everybody in this church knows what their task is. Everybody's engaged. Everyone feels involved and necessary and connected and part of what we are doing together. And so that's our Advent theme. That's what I'm thinking about, is how the incarnation, God showing up like us, God coming into the world through a pregnancy, just like all of us, God being in a time and a place in particular, shows us what engagement in ministry looks like and challenges us. But if I'm going to lead us through a season of Advent like that, as I hope to do, if we are going to lead each other through a season like that, as I hope we will, we have to lead like God does. We have to feed the sheep. We have to take care of each other. We have to love ourselves. So this morning, I'm inviting you to take this moment here for you today to identify those things which make it hard for you to believe that God loves you with God's whole heart. And God will receive your whole heart in return. There is a place for you here that you are worthy and that you can make a difference. All those stories, all those words, all of those hesitancies, let's lay them before God today. Let's let God bind up our wounds, shall we?